This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housewives Archives. My name is Jane Devins, and at the moment in time, and nothing happened, and it's back it up. It's Ellie Nunn! That is not what I thought you were going to do. What? That was like you were having a stroke. I thought it was pretty good. I'm just going to shrug at that and sip my tea. Jane! <laughs> James said he had a good idea for the intro and that it would like slowly descend into Dorinda. I didn't expect it to descend quite so like half of your facial muscles stopped working <laughs> and your tongue was too big for your mouth. Your Dorinda is much better than me. Thank you. I didn't get I didn't get, did, get, get much out over it. Did you get some? It never gets old. I love it. I love doing Drunk Dorinda. Oh. Probably not the most respectful impression. I'd be terrified to meet her in person for fear of retribution. Isn't that just generally a thing with Dorinda that you'd be both thrilled and terrified? She's both like my favorite and the person I'm most Yeah, that's of. the thrill, isn't it? Because she'd either decide that she loved you and make you scrambled eggs with a smiley face in it, <laughs> yes. or just be like, you better watch that. You better better stop that. And you'd be like, what? I didn't say anything. <laughs> you mentioned like a balloon or something. And she's I don't like, like don't that. Go there. I don't like that. You're my husband. <laughs> don't take Richard's name down your mouth. And then immediately then be like, uh, I need to do this. I love you. Yeah. yeah. How she's been with Kristen on Ultimate Girls Trip is like my fear that I would meet her and she just decides she didn't like me. <laughs> Kristen, surprisingly, is kind of carrying the she's first doing few great. episodes of Ultimate Girls Trip. Who would have thought? Yes. She's kind of picked up the mantle from Tinsley of just getting the ever-loving shit hazed out of her from all angles. And she's holding up very well. Totally. And having said to you yesterday that I felt like I didn't really want to watch it, I wasn't enjoying it. I still, I find it incredibly clunky and all this thing of constantly trying to make references to past things. Like when Ramona goes, I just want to say to Luann, calm down, take a Xanax. And I'm like, yeah. enough. I don't want to hear yeah. about eggs à la française. I don't want to, they're at their best when they actually seem to start going at it at the table. And it suddenly feels a bit like just a new episode of Real Housewives of New York. And I'm lulled yeah. into this false sense of security of going, I'm quite enjoying this. And then they're wearing the same clothes as from that trip last time. It's all sort of weird flashbacks. And I just find it very boring. The first episode, it really was like 50% new material and then 50% flashback footage. Uh -huh. I am trying to give them a bit of grace because I'm assuming for the first couple of episodes, they're like getting the excitement of like, hooray, with the, the old gang's back together. We're doing this all over again. And they're getting that out of their system. But so far, unfortunately, it is probably the most relentlessly self-referential of all the Ultimate Girls trips, which is really saying something. Although I do love that they kind of immediately chat on their own show with the argument between Chris and Dorinda over like who needs the show and <laughs> the whole on pause argument and then being like because none of us need this none of us need the show and, and you're like oh good 
I'm kind of, again, loving Kristen just waltzing in and being like, ladies, the show is dead. The show doesn't exist anymore. So drop it. She's kind of the hero. Also a testament to how nuts the cast are that the normie Kristen is like the town pariah. But I just want to say, if you're going to pick a location that they've already been on for a girl's trip, and the whole premise of this show apparently is now like a celebration of past girls trips. Why would you pick the location that's probably the least memorable? Like Luan fucked a pirate and Aviva turned up late. That's about it. That's all they can talk about. But you could have gone to the tequila house. You could yeah. have gone to the proper scary island house. You could have gone to Bluestone Manor. Fuck it. You know, go there yeah. again. I feel like producers very much have their finger on the pulse of what fans are saying online, which I think is always a bad idea because I think most fans, ourselves included, don't know how to produce a reality show. You shouldn't be following the lead of what fans want. And it feels like a direct response to New Roni, where people are kind of like split into two camps where people were really defending New Roni and being like, yes, this is great. This is what New York should be. And then people <laughs> really defending this ultimate girls trip being like, yes, the OGs are the best. It feels like a very defensive form of meta celebration that is really stifling the women. Because the fact is, these women are the best of the best at what they do. And I think if they weren't constrained by this premise of this is going to be a celebration of Roni legacy, then they could do a lot of really funny stuff. Because as you said, Luan saying back in the day, off the cuff, eggs à la française is funny. A whole bit about eggs à la française is not funny. Exactly. And isn't that just Luan all over? It feels like Luan produced this episode in the same way as she turned every one of her accidentally funny, memeable moments into like a song or a book right. or whatever. Yeah. It's that thing of going... Oh, everyone loves that I said eggs à la française. People find it funny that she said eggs à la française because it's such a wanky way of saying scrambled eggs. Like, right. And now it's become, she's like, people love it when I make eggs à la française. And when we all talk about eggs à la française, shut up! It's like, like no, <laughs> you missed it. <laughs> and now I don't ever want to hear anyone say it ever again. <laughs> We've said it before about Luan. If you want a joke to die, tell Luan, Give it to Luan. that it's funny. Because then she will beat it to death. <laughs> it's still, Luan gave us plenty of hilarious shit that she was just quietly doing, not realizing how funny she was being. It was like a hit parade of my favorite Luanisms. Literally the very first scene of the first episode was her putting on like a 20 foot long statement necklace and then being like, oh, there's someone at the door. And I was like immediately in hysterics. And <laughs> just like, we were spoiled with so much franglais on this trip. I always find it so cringe in general when people speak French to someone French and then they respond in English and then the other person just keeps going with their really bad French and it's like a weird battle of wits between the two it's like who's going to give up first you should come to Paris with me it's exactly like that <laughs> <laughs> my dad does it as well and it's like no just don't worry about it it's fine Luanne was also in heat she was ready to fuck pardon my franglais <laughs> I loved it she was like on one looking for a man it was great and then we had more lies about the pirate I love that she's still not upfront and honest about it it's great yeah, Love amazing. Her. Couldn't have asked for anything more. I also thought Kelly Ben Simone is kind of having the Taylor Armstrong go around where it's nice for her to have the opportunity to reintroduce herself to perhaps a newer audience who aren't familiar with her previous oeuvre. And it remains to be seen whether that will be successful and there will be a critical reappraisal, but I'm rooting for her, you know? Oh, that's lovely. I mean, her Kellyisms are still there, but I think for the most part, and I stand by this with her first go round. I can follow the track of most of her arguments and sometimes I agree with them. I just think she gets very um, lost in the, in, the, in the woods with her words, much like I did <laughs> bit, just bit then. Like you just... <laughs> um, it's a bit like a pastiche. I, I meant to do that. And um, 
I also think that now that Bethany's had this turn as a disgraced Bravo villain, where they, they like spit on Bethany's name whenever it comes up, I think maybe people yeah. will be more sympathetic <laughs> to the idea that Kelly was just driven mad by Bethany the first go round. Yes, it does sort of seem like a strange redemption arc. I thought Ramona trying to rehab her image and be on her best behavior and lasting barely two seconds into the deciding rooms bit was very funny. I also loved Kristen being like, wow, Ramona's really chilled out in her old age. She's so relaxed and nice now. And it's like, no, babe, she just she's just not engaging with you because she doesn't know who you are. She, she thinks you're the staff. <laughs> Do you have any more thoughts about Ultimate Girls Trip? I don't. Uh... To be honest, it's still paused on my TV and it doesn't fit the rest of my Christmas aesthetic in my living room Mm -hmm. right now. The sort of St. Bart's background as I've got my big gorgeous Christmas tree and my Christmas candles and the fairy lights and... I just, I just want to get onto the snugness of Christmas. If the you good would. stuff. Let's the do it. Stuff. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. It feels like a Christmas tradition at the Housewives Archives to kind of churn out a vague Christmas special that's very tenuously linked to Christmas. Mm. And this year will be no exception. But I think that there's a real solid case that this is possibly our most Christmassy episode yet because we are devoting an episode to the Queen of Christmas in the Real Housewives canon, Miss Dorinda Medley. Uh, Ah. let's just set the scene here everyone this is going to come out like a week before christmas in honor of dorinda wherever you're celebrating the holidays whether it be with family and friends or just by yourself i would just invite you to take a quiet moment and sit in a corner somewhere pop in your headphones make a hot drink yeah make a hot drink like we're holding right now put on your pajamas or a bit of velvet again as we're doing lie under a christmas tree and close your eyes and lie just listen to our christmas tree. that's what dorinda would do <sighs> isn't there anything better than napping under a christmas tree my boyfriend helped me put the christmas tree in the corner by doing a slightly interesting thing where he kind of got his feet under the tree and then sort of frog pushed it like he was doing breaststroke in the pool, but with his legs. To push the tree back? To push it back into the corner. Okay. <laughs> it was Unorthodox. But if it gets the job done, who am I to say? It's Christmas. To each their own. So yeah, emotionally, spiritually, we're in Bluestone Manor right now. Always. Bethany's calling Luan a slut in the room next door. And that's the note that we intend to go on. I rewatched that episode the other day and it makes me laugh that as other people are rewatching old festive favourites, I was just like sat cosy down with some bangers and mash watching Bethany screaming that Luan fucked everyone. And that's Christmas to me. It is perfect. Honestly, it's in the roster, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. the Santa Claus, Christmas Vacation, Home Alone. Bethany calling Luana slut. Yes. It's exactly what you want. I think what's so great about those Bluestone Manor Christmas episodes is that it's such a sensory experience where you really do feel like you're there. Like, I feel like I can smell the smoke when they light a fire in that one room where the, where the fireplace doesn't up. work yeah yeah and then the whole place is filled with that smoky woody smell and it's all like f- the food you can taste it you know exactly that kind of food the mashed potato and the chicken and the gravy that mm. ramona kind of spills all over one of the chairs in the, when coco in does the a shit on the carpet Ramona's does the really creepy apology uh and it's like the chocolate syrup because avery loves chocolate avery loves chocolate <laughs> Spills the grave and she's like, oh my god. Oh my god. Oh. I, no, I made a bet. I am so, I am so sorry. <laughs> you just, 
Yeah, you know exactly what it would feel like. I love that little track that Carol has the one year when Bethany's screaming at Luann where she comes in late, she can hear the ruckus and she's like, oh, fuck this. I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to do some Christmas shopping online. I'm like, yes. That's what I would she do. She just looks so cozy doing a bit of Christmas shopping upstairs, hiding in the closet with jewels. One of the best Carol lines, actually. One of the best lines ever on Housewives. It's so wise and it's really stuck with me that the sign of a wealthy person is when they wallpaper the inside of a closet. And it's so fucking true. So true. I'm, I've really taken that with me in life. Mm-hmm. Doing Twister, going for a nap and watching Ghost Hunters in the background. It's such a shame that you aren't over for longer at Christmas because I would so be able to provide you with a Dorinda Bentley weekend. It's what I really want. And I feel like, I don't know if anyone else has had this, but now that I bring my significant other over to spend Christmas with my family, I kind of talk it up a lot and say how many traditions that we have. But actually, there's not that many active traditions. It's more just like sitting around and just sort of vegging out and just watching the same shit every year, which I get for someone who maybe doesn't celebrate Christmas or that particular iteration of Christmas. Christmas. It's very bizarre. Michael's always like, "Why? Sorry, why are we watching this weird Christmas special from The Good Life?" Like, because <laughs> we do like, it every year. Because that's what you do. Yeah, it's quite scary for me. I don't know if I've told you my boyfriend spending Christmas with my family this year, and I don't think I've ever had a boyfriend be there for Christmas itself. And suddenly, I do feel very conscious of all of the traditions. Not self-conscious, just conscious that he will have to do them, and. Mm-hmm. I was suddenly worried at the beginning of December. I thought, what if he's not a very festive person? What if he's not very into Christmas? I've since discovered he is, so it's fine. But there is that real sense of like, you do realise that you will have to just do what we do every year. Like, there won't be Mm -hmm. optional. I think most sane people acknowledge that as well and respect that. Even if you're not a Christmassy person, if you're on someone else's turf at Christmas time, I think you have to accept that everyone Mm. goes a little bit mad and you can't question it. You just have to go with the flow. I I personally believe. That's true. Do you want to know, talking about napping, watching Ghost Hunters, perhaps most appropriately for us being about to do an episode about Dorinda, I was in bed about to take a nap when I got your email with the Skype link. And I was like, oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course, because it's 3pm your time. That's like prime Dorinda napping time, isn't it? prime nap time. And I was about to do a a real Dorinda and be like, ah, good my afternoon nap. I love if you did suddenly wake up and you were in the most foul, horrible Dorinda mood and you were brandishing a knife. Because <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have your nap. I get stroppy if I don't have my no, nap. yeah. Let's go all the way back and talk about when we first meet Dorinda. Dorinda is such a Shannon Bedore-esque get in the relatively late in the show's run, we have someone who is such a dynamic, easily mm. communicable, unique character who just leapt off the screen and immediately fit in with the cast dynamic. And feels like they've been there the whole time. Absolutely. The whole time. She's amazing. Certainly helped that she had a prior relationship with many of the women on the cast. But even if we didn't, she's such a charismatic screen presence. It was clear she was always meant to be on television. And I think what works about Dorinda is that she's such a creature of New York. She's very old school in a way where she's kind of the last of her kind. I feel Mm -hmm. like those old school New Yorkers are kind of dying out. And she really slowly revealed these fun facts and quirks throughout that first season where with each revelation, her life slowly becomes more textured and colorful. So this idea that every day without fail, she will take a nap at 3 p.m. And if she doesn't, she turns into a gremlin. The fact that she she buys scratch-offs and she carries them around in a little notebook, that she steals hotel slippers, that she steals packets oh. of Splendor wherever she goes. She's so great. She used to be an aerobics instructor. 
She loves Christmas. She's just such a pure, wonderful creature 99% mm-hmm. of the time. And then we go on vacation with her and she gets blackout drunk on three dirty martinis. And suddenly she gets into that massive screaming match with Heather. With Heather, like, yeah. Oh my God, who is this person? Hashtag your mom's proud. Yeah, <laughs> it's so... Don't say I did it, because I did. <laughs> Always. Dorinda, it so happens with so many housewives where... Every subsequent season, we get those same beats and she covers those same bases. But with each season, it's played out slightly more cartoonish and elevated each time. And it's kind of been slightly sullied by her own celebrity and her own linking it back to Ultimate Girls Trip, suddenly becoming a bit meta about the way that she does it. But there is just something very pure about those first at least two seasons where you really feel protective of Dorinda. She's just like an angel. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she was aware of how fascinating and funny and eccentric a character that she was. And also, like you say, it's so sad because I think when those first kind of 1% moments came in, it almost just added to the texture and was that lovely sense of where perhaps people thought someone like Carol or Heather was a bit boring because they didn't have... It's like that little bit of dark, which just yeah. fully rounds out how much, like you say, sort of purity there is to Dorinda's love of things and her friendships. But then, particularly when alcohol's involved, almost exclusively when alcohol's involved, it is sad to watch Dorinda do damage, probably unknowingly in the moment, and then have no ownership of it down the line. Like in her sober moments where it's not... She's not like Kelly on OC where she's going to like call someone a cunt and then be like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Dorinda is very stubborn about it and will kind Mm -hmm. of stubbornly when she's sober be like, no, I did mean what I said. And I think doesn't like to admit that she probably doesn't remember how bad what she said was or how strongly she said it. And it's really sad because I think we all know people like that or someone like that where... It doesn't mean that they're not like the most delightful, wonderful person. But, and you really see it in like Carol in particular, her response to Dorinda being like, you're so good and you're so wonderful. And it's so hard when those moments happen because it's one thing, look, they all can be a nasty drunk. So like that's, that's human, but you've got to own if you've been a, Dorinda's got such denial. She tips into that weird Sonia thing of going like, no, I wasn't drunk. I didn't even have a drink. I hadn't even had a drink. And it's like, if you don't even own that you were drunk, mm-hmm. then you're saying you stand by it and you really don't want to stand by how you behaved or what you said. Yeah. And I think that's hard. But it didn't always used to be that way. I don't think she used to be that defensive. So the elements of a Dorinda meltdown, at least back in the day, were getting drunk, getting glassy eyed. She'd have the claw hand in the air doing the sock puppet thing spittle flying everywhere a bit of food on her face some garbled adage that no one's heard of bethany points out in real time in tequila where dorinda kind of like revs her engine you can really see her like picking up momentum with her speech where it's like really like gets to this peak and bethany's like and away we go Ah." (laughs) and then she'll kind of end it her pièce de resistance is then saying something really below the belt and nasty that Back in the day, this is my point, is that she regrets either in real time or at least the next morning. There's like a moment of tears where it elides into a very Italian chest beating way of expressing herself where it's Mm -hmm. like, you broke my heart. I gave you my prayer card. 
And take over this, like, you good people, yeah. I good people, we don't do... That is all wrapped up in the drunk performance. And even in Cartagena, for example, she does have a moment of crying with Bethany over Luann, and she's sad. It's so she's... sad, that bit, which she's like, I'm sad that I hurt Luann. Yeah, it's really sad. It's so childlike. It's so, it's so true. That moment where underneath everything, when you fucked up, you're just like, I'm sad because I hurt someone I really care about because I'm hurt. And that Luann thing is so interesting because it's so, she just wants Luann to say, I know and I fucked up too and Luan keeps yeah. kind of slightly grandly kind of going I forgive you it's like, well I was so hurt and it's yeah, and yeah. she just wants to be acknowledged that like she's been a great friend and she was hurt and it's so clearly the anger comes from love and this idea I completely see in Cartagena for example she undermines her own case because she gets so blind drunk and incoherent she's unable to articulate herself but what she's trying to say is she was a really loyal friend back Luanne the whole way with Tom when no one else did yeah. like a fool because of it and what does she get in response this patronizing comment about drinking from someone who got arrested for drinking and they're now sober for two seconds who the fuck are they to talk to me Absolutely. like that that's the case she's trying to make but it gets completely lost in the shuffle and by making that comment about the mugshot so immediately if you're handing it to Luan of all people as well you're just like giving her the win on a silver platter for her to harp on about until the end of time when she's good she's good and when she's bad she's really really bad and it used to be you would just take the good because it was so great but I think I feel like what's happened is there's been a shift I mean Dorinda was my favorite housewife for so long and then even I by her last couple of seasons couldn't really stay in her corner because that shift seemed to happen less and less around alcohol and more often just well she was sober a lot of the time that's what i mean it's like she's arguing yeah and it was a different level of sort of a mean-spiritedness to a lot of the attacking and especially with tinsley and just quite indefensible it actually gets really overshadowed by all the screaming but what another technique that dorinda has when she's arguing is to let the other person talk and then she'll just sit there with this smirk on her face and then she'll just purr back something really condescending and nasty in a way that's actually really infuriating. So we saw it in this first episode of Ultimate Girls Trip where Kristen's talking to Dorinda and then she just repeats back whatever Dorinda's saying. And then Kristen, Kristen will say something else and then Dorinda will just repeat it back again. And it's such a childish but effective tactic where it'll either drive you mad or it will just wear you down into submission it's a, t- it's a horrible fighter even all those sections with tinsley when she's kind of going tinsley tinsley come on you're gonna be late for school come on come on tinsley you're gonna be yeah. late for school in the middle of someone trying to make a point it's you know the dirty tactics when you're fighting with someone yeah yeah and they're not attractive can we talk a bit about richard because i feel like it all does lead back to that mm. i feel like that's such a big part of dorinda Dorinda comes from the realm of Kim Richards and Sonia Morgan in that they're some of the more literary characters on these shows in general. And I would argue that Dorinda's literary genre would be gothic. So if she's all about Christmas, she manages to embody both the really kitschy side of Christmas, but also that really ghostly telling a scary story on Christmas Eve around a roaring fire in the dark kind of Christmas as well. You know, she has this appropriate domain in Bluestone Manor. It's not like dilapidated or dusty by any means, but there, there is this undercurrent of desperation to it where Dorinda has so much emotionally invested in it. It's such a homage to this past life and you kind of feel like maybe it's best days are behind it and she's sort Mm. of desperately clinging on to try and save it. Part of the reason that she has that feeling is that it was a gift from Richard, who is this character that we've never met, but we feel like we know because she constantly talks about him, as she should, you know, it was a big part of her life, but it does feel like all roads 
lead back. And I think that's a big contributor to the gothicism of Dorinda is that she is constantly haunted by this ghost. And she's like eulogizing him and talking about him in a way as if he's this supernatural force. And, you know, it, there's kind of memes about it, but every time she sees a balloon, it's Richard and Richard has a tree in the garden. And whenever she sees pennies, it's a sign from Richard. And, and I'm genuinely not saying that to be snarky. I think those are completely normal ways mm. of dealing with grief. But the way that Dorinda has this very poetic soul and verbalizes herself with these kind of lofty sayings and slightly archaic imagery, um, it makes her brand of grief feel particularly theatrical. Yeah. It is all so moving, though. And, you know, we've said before that trip to London that she and Carol take is so moving. Oh, and so. I watched it the other day. It's just beautiful from both of them. It's like two of the most articulate people about grief and being both funny and heartbreaking about it. They share really interesting mundane details about grief. That are all the best bit. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that sometimes one of the difficulties on the show must be some people, like someone like Dorinda, really has been through you know, I mean, I know they've all been through enormous amounts. And one of the things I love about the show is when they come together in how much they've all been through that, you know, these aren't just some rich, privileged women from New York who've never had a care in the world. You know, so many of them are clinging on to pasts or have gone through traumas that have really sort of shaken the foundations of who they are. But I do think sometimes that the level of grief that Dorinda's experienced in some ways means she's probably not very well suited to something like a reality show because when she drinks and that grief kind of stirs or comes out or when something is hit like with Sonia this sense of how dare you compare your divorce to my husband it actually hits a level of darkness that's kind of too much for the show that I get it. it's just such like raw unfiltered grief over something she lost that mm -hmm. she hasn't really dealt with but it's quite kind of difficult obviously there's no timeline for grief and who are we to say when anyone should recover from that mm -hmm. if ever like no emotional recovery is linear but it's really fascinating to see a character in any kind of long-form storytelling remain in this stasis mm. where in many ways I feel like that's why Housewives is superior storytelling to scripted prestige television because on a scripted show there would you inevitably be a point there. where yeah. Dorinda would get over it yeah. um, quote unquote in order for her character to evolve. And obviously real life isn't like that. And I think the thing with London is a case in point where it's this like beautiful cathartic moment. And I'm. it's really nice actually that the show gives them the breathing room to kind of sit in that grief mm -hmm. where they can have these beautiful elegiac moments. Because as I was watching it the other day, I was girding my loins for it to suddenly like cut back to Ramona and Sonia being silly in Manhattan. And I was going to get really annoyed. And it was like the first half of the episode was all about London. But you also get the impression that the show is only willing to designate a certain amount of time to that experience and that expression of grief. It's like the thing you you say with Taylor Armstrong, where it's like, okay, cool, you had your season about, yeah, the, about Russell, but it's time to kind of like move on now. Exactly. Yeah, that is a problem with these shows is that, you know, they think these people make great TV, but they're also they don't have the room for the scope of their damage. And that's where I think the drinking comes into play again. I don't want to step too much on the toes of this because I know that we talked about it a bit in our alcohol episode all the way back when. But when Dorinda has that heart-to-heart -heart with Bethany on the plane in Puerto Rico, she gets very raw and introspective and honest about Richard, which then leads to her verbalizing a lot of existential shit and worries about her own mortality. And I think death always seems to be on the mind for Dorinda. Again, very gothic. And... 
I think as a viewer on the first watch, you again sort of naively assume, hurrah, this is her aha moment. This is her moment of anagnorisis and that she's going to clean up her act after that, which as as we well know, doesn't happen and she snaps right back into denial. It may not be the most stage-worthy way of depicting it, but I certainly find it very interesting. She's never truly hit a rock bottom and she's never had a moment of realisation when it comes to her alcoholism, which I mean, my God, look at how the writers of And Just Like That handled someone like Miranda. It's such like a shitty way of dealing with something like alcoholism. I totally forgot about that. (laughs) It's just, I don't know, it's just fascinating to see anyone on television sort of be in denial about something for nearing a decade now. And there's actually been very little wavering from that initial position. And not just denial, but you think she watches the show. And I just don't know how she watches both like funny scenes, like the Lady Gaga costume one, where she's like losing all of her bubbles, telling everyone, and like she can barely talk. But also things like the trip where Ramona says she has a problem with drinking and Luann conveys the message and then she's not talking to Luann. But I just think, I don't understand how she watches back the episodes and doesn't think, oh my God, is that me? I wonder if it is. It's just like a symptom of being gassed up online by fans and a sort of a misinterpretation. Again, a bit like Luann, where they see things like clip and like, I made it nice and moments that have come out of drunkenness and then sort of conflating that with just being drunk itself. Mm. I do think that Dorinda very much fits into that trope that a lot of housewives fit of women who had no identity or no sense of identity and devoted themselves to something in their past life in search of an identity and then they end up transferring that initial obsession into an obsession with the show without getting to the root cause of why they feel so rudderless in life so for Dorinda it was like all about Richard and that life with Richard and now it's about being a reality star. For Luann, mm. it was being a countess. Now it's being a reality star. For Heather Gay, it was being a Mormon. Now it's being a reality star. Weirdly, you would be tempted to put Sonia in that category, but I actually don't think it applies to Sonia. I think Sonia's just been Sonia the whole time. She's just yeah. perpetually obsessed like, with her I, past. That She's... weird thing where it's like she would be exactly how she is. or We know she is exactly how she is off the show. Yeah, and she doesn't seem to, for someone who's so delusional, she doesn't really seem to kind of like care that she's on a reality show totally. or sort of care that she's a Bravo celebrity. It's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. But I think it just leads into, for Dorinda, it was once an obsession with upholding Richard's memory. And I think obviously that is still there, but now it's this obsession with catchphrases that once came out organically and now she's and sort merchandise of increasingly savvy. And all, exactly. And yeah, merching them and kind of churning out these catchphrases now with the express idea of making some merch out of it. Oh, it's really sad, she says, looking at her bluestone mannequin alongside. It's doubly sad because... She's not even on the show anymore. So she was kind of memorializing her deceased husband and she's now memorializing a show that she's not even on anymore. And this, the proof is in the pudding now where Andy, after she was fired, Andy very glibly said that Dorinda was on pause. And my God, the way she's clung onto that phrase, like Miss Havisham, she is metaphorically in her wedding dress waiting for her suitor to come back so she can quickly get married. And if we can briefly talk about that second Ultimate Girls trip, she was on a complete tear. My God, I mean, giving, Dorinda the head honcho status to sort of lord over the rest of the women in Bluestone Manor it suddenly shifts from this gothic story (laughs) to just a full-on slasher horror movie (laughs) where she has been like driven mad with power and this obsessive repeating that she's on pause and that somehow sort of makes her superior to the other women they were just fired but she's on pause like any day now Andy's gonna call me up and again you'd think that she would have watched 
ultimate girls trip and reassessed and learned something from that but she clearly didn't because she's still obsessively talking about being on pause in this new ultimate girls trip it's mad isn't it because also i think the being on pause thing was supposed to be a response or it felt in the diamonds and rose book like andy cohen saying dorinda feels like she's gone into a bit of a dark place and we really wanted to come out of the dark place and come back because there is genuine love and affection for her. Yeah. Like we say, because she was such an amazing addition to the show when she first came on. And it's sad that rather than seeing that as like, she actually has the lifeline or the opportunity to get into a better place and come back to the show. She seems to be getting into a darker and darker place where it's like you're getting yeah. further and further away from that pause because like you don't get it. It's not about making better TV. I think there's some genuine duty of care there that they don't think that she's quite in the right place to be on a television show and everyone knows what the key is in order for her to get back on the show apart from dorinda it's like just clean up your act and stop drinking but she's seemingly too proud to admit that but also keeps lowering herself to lower and lower lows she's kind of like whoring herself out through the merch and everything and yeah living in this past and she's way more similar to sonia than she would like to admit I, Mm. i think and i actually think sonia is way more functional than dorinda well certainly goes less below the belt Mm-hmm. I feel like we got very depressing all of a sudden for this Christmas episode. Well, I think the truth is that when you talk about Dorinda and where things have got to be, it is kind of depressing. What do you mm-hmm. want to do? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you want to talk about other Christmassy episodes? Yeah. Quick, let's retreat to the warm bosom of New Jersey. Oh, of like course. when in doubt, always, always just go back to that. Like five episodes. Oh, maybe I'll watch that tonight. Just that, that five episodes stretch. Season three, yeah. Of Christmas, I'm always like, just put it on, just put it on. That'll make me feel better. The Melissa and Joe Gorga Christmas party. Oh, it was such a legendary event in 2010. <sighs> you know, it was. It was the place to be. Oh, everyone's like sending each other Facebook messages. But also just, I just want to watch all of those like Christmas Eve dinners and traditions. And then the Christmas morning, I want to watch 
the Wakilis. And- Joe Gorga, bloated and topless, just lying on the sofa. The oh. Manzos and Melissa thanking Jesus. And oh, I just want it all. I would take it even further back by another season. Something that weirdly makes me feel very Christmassy is when Danielle and Kim G have that massive argument on the steps outside that restaurant because there's Christmas decorations outside. And <laughs> you can tell it's really crisp in the air because as Kim G is screaming about Danielle's tits, you can see her hot breath coming out. Oh, so By the good. way, did you just say Joe Gorga lying bloated on the sofa? Did you mean... Did, oh, fuck. Joe Judice, you got me. <laughs> that makes mm, me feel so me. much better for the time that I called her Melissa Giorgio. Giorgio. <laughs> That's still <laughs> worse. But... All right. Fair enough. Uh, what other Christmassy episodes stand out to you in the Housewives canon? Uh, one for me is when they do pickup shots for Beverly Hills season six, where Yolanda's been left by David, and it happens to be around Christmas time, and there's just a shot of Yolanda in a roll neck crying about David, and there happens to be a Christmas tree in the background. And I'm like, so oh, depressing. Joy to the world. I wish that all of the franchises filmed their Christmas mornings more like that New Jersey thing. I want to watch all of their traditions. To this day, I'm like, did they actually not allow the crew to be home with their families on Christmas Day? Or was this all staged and it was filmed on January the 5th or something? I didn't even think about that. They were on a tear with that stretch of New Jersey. They really must have felt like they were You're loving the phrase on a tear today. I've never heard that phrase before in my life. I don't even know what it means. (laughs) Someone must have said it. They were on one. I don't know what it means either. But they just would not leave them alone. You did get the sense that they did not have a moment's peace. Like, not even Christmas morning. My God. But I do just want to watch them all. I want to see how, like, Luann's Christmas morning starts. Because New York, I feel like, has the most sort of Christmas episodes. Not Christmas Day. But I'm having lots of memories of Bethany having holiday parties. Like, with the caviar girl. Oh, the business with the nutcracker. Yeah. And the nutcracker thing. Yeah. And then Bluestone Manor obviously is various times when it's Christmassy, although sometimes it's Halloween-y, the trips to the Berserkshires. I feel like it's not always Christmas. Mm -hmm. So it all sort of blends into one. I don't know if it's a symptom of them just being older and they're, you know, they're single women out having a good time. They have that one with the like Santa Chippendales where they like flip Bethany upside down on the chair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just remembering. It's like death defying act. Do you remember Danielle's bridal shower where the stripper comes and he like flips her over in a chair and she just kind of like goes limp. She just goes into a fugue state. Because she goes into (laughs) a weird, it's a bit like Erica on the latest, the Beverly Hills thing at that show in Vegas. That slight thing of going, I'm not going to be one of those like screaming women who are just like, "Ah, I don't know what's happening. Like, I'm yeah. gonna, I know how to go into like a physical place that means you can do this, but you're right. It means she just goes like this with this <laughs> ragdoll. But in her head, I think it's because it's like, I know what she's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. It's like, they, like you know, she we know, we're, we're like partners. Right. We see each other. <laughs> and yeah, Erica's the same. She goes into weird like Erica Jane performance mode of being like, do it, lick my clip. <laughs> like. <laughs> Which, to be honest, I'd find that a lot. I mean, Sutton, obviously, it's like she's always going to stop being like, no, no, I want after show or whatever. (laughs) Right. But even I would be like, Jesus. (laughs) 
just, I just love. I don't know how yeah. one's supposed to react to someone pretending to go down on you. Exactly. It's like when you got me up on stage the other week. It's not like that. If you were to lie me down and lick my clit, <laughs> I would at least look embarrassed. I wouldn't be like nodding my head and licking my lips, being like, yeah. Like, you got again, audience participation. You need to look embarrassed. I've said it before. I'll say it again. So I'm, I'm Team Sutton on that one. You need to look embarrassed. I also love that Sutton clearly the next day really regretted looking like an uptight priest. So then she would not shut up about like, I've packed my dildos and I'm going to fist myself tonight. It's like, Sutton, okay, you, happy medium. <laughs> no, thank you. <sighs> Again, with the weed party where she wouldn't oh have my God, Denise, THC, but then would like light up a joy. Oh my God, I love Denise. You know. It's very Dorinda with the, you know what I'm talking about. She's very Dorinda, so glassy eyed. Watch this show. When Dorit tells her that she's got the... <laughs> She's no, don't do that. Don't do that shit. That's such a Dorinda thing to be like. Don't do that shit. Don't do that. Don't. To be like, don't make me look like a drunk. Yeah, exactly. It's that defensiveness. <laughs> Dorit just being like, no, but I actually think your jacket is upside down. It's upside down. <laughs> <laughs> when Denise was saying, watch the show watch the show and everyone no one knew what she was talking about and acting really confused and they're like what show they were acting like she was having some kelly ben simone breakdown where it's like clearly i mean i know she was being a mess but what show did you think she was referring to obviously this show you're all filming right now i don't know why you couldn't see that yeah and not to take it to kind of a sad place again but i thought the scene of kyle talking about losing her friend Oh my God. so harrowing. It was so upsetting. Yeah. If one of my best friends my whole life had taken their own life, you'd think you'd just be like, I'm not filming this season. Yeah. Or the first half of the season, whatever. A, it makes a lot more sense to me of stuff that's going on. I wish we had it in the first episode. It's so much more context. So much more. But also, it's that thing, it's so weird with these shows, like when Lisa Vanderpump's brother passed away and everyone just needed her to kind of get over it really quickly. And to be like, yeah. don't use that as an excuse. There's so little understanding of like, that's huge. It's such important context for, because before when Kyle was sort of obliquely, her reason for saying why her marriage is in a bit of a tough spot right now is because Mauricio wasn't there for her. And the implication up to that point was with what? Because you're not talking to Kathy. It's, yeah. I don't know. It just felt like a slightly like weak excuse. But now it's like, oh my God, okay, that completely makes sense. If he wasn't supportive enough for you in that moment, then of course yeah. I have to respect that. Because up to that point, I was slightly struggling to connect the dots and see how she and Mauricio got to this place. Because aside from some stupid rumors about having an affair back in season four, I feel like the show never portrayed their marriage as anything other other than really solid and Mauricio is a supportive spouse and then suddenly we open the season on this note and there wasn't much acknowledgement that this was mm-hmm. like a massive tonal shift it would be like the new episode of Vanderpump Rules and suddenly like Lisa Vanderpump and Ken aren't talking to each other and it's like what, what? yeah oh my god we need to end on something nicer than that I know. I'm. I'm we, really... Is there any more Dorinda content we can talk about? It's not Dorinda content from the show, but we got a direct response from Dorinda when I, on the 54 Below takeover day on Instagram, said that she was my spirit animal and she reposted it saying thank you. That was quite a big moment for me. I mean, we've had our fair few interactions with various celebrities over the years. You know, Barbara Kay, Elise, <laughs> for by far and away... Dorinda Medley was on a tear. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
I mean, she has so many glorious moments. That awful moment where she mistakes the guy for the waiter in the oh my god restaurant, and it's just very oh. human and funny. I love moments like in the Talking Head when she's talking about when Luann meets Dennis, and she can't stop laughing. I watch that clip all the time. Yeah, she's like falling off yeah. her chair laughing at her Talking Head. I love all her scenes with Hannah. Obviously, a lot of her storyline was slightly taken over by the kind of John back and forth thing. And I do think maybe part of the darker side of her behavior coming out has been since they broke up and maybe she feels a bit lonely. That's an interesting point because I feel like the narrative at the time was always like, John's a fucking loser. Get rid of him. You deserve better. And it's like, that's actually so true. Since she's gotten rid of him, she's kind of become worse. Yeah, I think that having someone to look after, whether that's John or Hannah or whatever, is Dorinda at her best. She does like very well in care abode. And without that, she seems to have been in slight freefall. It's kind of like the Dolores thing. And I know you slightly feel a different way about it. But I think that Dorinda was always very clear about her intentions with John of, look, I love him i don't know if he's going to be the one but to be honest at this point in my life i kind of just want companionship and someone to go out for dinner with and you guys might not think that that's enough and i deserve better but that kind of is enough for me right now Um, yeah and i kind of respect that there was something slightly maddening about how insipid john was it was such a one-sided relationship in which john would just sort of tail dorinda around and it was just something quite convenient for her but i could have dealt with that i didn't mind him being insipid so much as that dinner when Tom and Luan are talking about how they met and he's like, Top, Top, was the was the phone moist? Oh God. When you were talking to and you're just like Oh, you're a pig. Who are you? Like this is strange, yeah. sweaty man who yeah, like yeah. who do you think your audience is? And those moments I felt so sorry for Dorinda of just being like, Oh my god, what a misfire. I love that moment where Carol says that John needs an apple, obviously the implication being he's acting like a housewife and then Dorinda confronts he her meant about a it and like, you got him a pig yeah <laughs> what an apple in his mouth because he's a pig and it's like no Dorinda <laughs> no that's where you jumped to about John <laughs> I know yeah she really does treat John like a piece of shit and yell at him and then she also mythologizes Richard right in front of him and puts him on a pedestal yeah. in a way that John would never reach him and he just always hangs around for more abuse but when I think about the fight with Ray at the dry cleaners I really admire Dorinda's integrity here where she tore Ramona a new one for causing a havoc at her for causing a havoc for causing havoc <laughs> at her boyfriend's event And as soon as Ramona left, she just spun around and then laid into John as well. Because, you know, like, you don't talk to a lady like that. And I really do believe, again, very old school. She believes you need to back your partner in public, even if you don't agree. And then behind closed doors, you eviscerate them. Totally. And safe face. No, I'm with you on that one. And also, you've just reminded me, how can we not leave Dorinda the note of she... It is so great going back to that episode I was watching last night where she puts so much into the Christmas decorations of the house and the little gifts for everyone and she's cooked for everyone. She couldn't have put together a nicer weekend. And what I love about Dorinda is that through Bethany standing screaming, calling Luana poor and everyone falling out and Ramona's dog is shitting all over the house and everyone's got Jules's dad is in the hospital. No one's talking probably Ramon is just flitting between sides and things like that and Dorinda stays so calm and neutral for the whole thing yeah and just busying herself in the kitchen until Luan <laughs> yeah draws attention to the birthday cake that Dorinda's mother 
has bought and bought every year. And suddenly yeah. Dorinda's just like, no. Yeah. You don't mock the cake. And I love that Luann's not even mocking the cake. She's mocking that she's like on some weird high because Ramona's doing her like <laughs> yeah. laughter. So Luann's doing exactly the thing of like a joke that isn't very funny. She's just saying it again and again and being like, we're here with the non-birthday cake. <laughs> it's like she's a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Birthday cakes, am I right? And they got the writing on it. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Being it, like, oh, but it's not your birthday, but but you got your birthday cake right here. It's just suddenly like, don't do that. No. And you're like, here we go. And it's just she like, wraps up. She's like, my mother bought me this cake. cake. She Love buys it every year. We don't do that. And then don't I cook, I clean all day. If you can't pay, y'all go. I made it nice. And she's holding yeah. that wine bottle and I wear the jumper nonstop and everyone says to me, is that Emma Thompson? Because it, <laughs> it looks a bit like Emma Thompson in the picture. Emma Thompson wishes that she was Dorinda Medley is what I say to that. And on that... <laughs> I just think, even though she's not on our screens anymore, it really does feel telling that... And I know that a lot of this episode was devoted to how it was diminishing returns with Dorinda over the years. But I do think there's something to be said for by the end, when she got fired, the principal reaction across the board seemed to be one of this mass mourning... Totally. And this idea that we lost one of the greats. And, and I still um, adore even though it her. it made sense. Yeah. Yeah, we all do. And we all want her to get better. And yeah. I would still stay in Bluestone Manor with her over Christmas. Like, that would be my perfect Christmas. T- tentatively, I would. <laughs> with a backpack. Like, it would be so nice and you'd curl up in bed and then you'd close your eyes and then you'd wake up in the middle of the night and you'd hear these strange scratching noises and thuds and you'd, like open the door and Dorinda's walking the halls in her nightgown with a candle being like you put me in the fish room (laughs) no i made it nice (laughs) (laughs) like the ghost of marley on that note merry christmas everyone merry christmas thank you all year for listening to the housewives archives it means so much to us And we are wishing you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we look forward to joining you all again in the in 2024. It sort of went, see now that is a slow slide into a Dorinda. It sort of went from articulate and caring to nonsensical and slurred. Slightly threatening. See you in 2024 if you live to make it to 2024. No, what's good good for you? (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.